This episode was made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 150 of the Inked Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Greg Rucka's 2017 comic and Gina Prince Bythewood's 2020 film of the same name, The Old Guard. So James, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but we're, we're missing out right now by recording this when we are. Why? Why is that? It's the second night of the RNC, and we oh, are just man. missing it to record this. I mean... Shut it down, shut it down. I got stuff to do. <laughs> Are you going to be okay? I know that there's quite a lineup tonight that we're going to miss out on. <laughs> They're yeah. wondrous uh, words. I think I'll live. I'll live. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, I, I could have turned it on earlier and, and just got a little taste before we came in, but then when I showed up on, on camera, because we're on Skype, you would have seen the face-melted guy from from uh Raiders? Indiana Jones that that would have been yeah. me when I got on so I see let's uh instead instead we won't do that um <laughs> instead we're talking about the old guard which uh I, I don't know about you but like I had a ton of fun with this so I'm really curious to know like what your thoughts were on this we we read the comic we and we watched the movie both yeah uh I had a lot of fun with it going in I think that you had mentioned that like there was getting a lot of buzz and I remember seeing people talking about it uh the Netflix movie specifically mm -hmm. and I saw it on Netflix obviously just because they're you know how they are with their marketing so it was everywhere yeah. and I, I was like oh cool Charlize Theron like I like I like this whole role that she's really like developed for herself as like this um like action badass like th these are cool yeah. movies to like because I think I, I think you know it's kind of a boys club and to get like the the Charlize Theron as a badass, yeah. like assassin, is a cool, you know, a cool kind of part of her career. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that probably really kicked off with Mad Max Fury Road. Unless, correct me if I'm wrong, there was maybe something before that. I mean, she I, had like Aeon Flux was like 2005, oh, yeah. so that was like her in sort of an actiony role. Yeah, that was her, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. And then, um, and then she did Atomic Blonde. I want to say I didn't watch that one, but yeah. I heard it. I actually heard I actually, it was good. Like for the action, was good at least. Yeah, I liked that. Uh, I think more than most people. That was it. Was fun. It was sort of her John Wick. You know, it was like right. I think very specifically made to be. And, and I don't know. It was cool. It was stylized. I liked. Uh, I liked sort of the look they were going for. It was like '80s Germany or something like. I think it was Germany, but it was mm -hmm. like sort of like an '80s. Like it had some neon in it, and like it was. There were some cool. But specifically, I think that movie was made to just showcase amazing choreography and fight scenes and um which i feel like this this kind of could also be seen as in a way as well it's sort of a superhero yeah. movie sort of like fights going in this was going to be the fights were something that i think people were going to be talking about yeah i could see that for sure so the way we're going to try and cover this is we're going to have a uh, short spoiler free discussion for anybody who maybe is just curious about the old guard want to know if we think they should check it out um, then we're going to move into talking about Greg Rucka, then we will talk about the comic, then we'll talk about the filmmaker, then we'll talk about the film. So we're, we have a lot to get through. So because of that, we're not going to do like an in-depth scene by scene, and instead we're going to jump around. But we're going to save that for when we get to the spoiler sections. Uh, just for now, general thoughts. Um, you, I also do want to establish, um, and we've talked about this before, I feel like I'm still a complete novice when it comes to comics. Um, it's not something I grew up reading a lot of, um, and 
we've covered Watchmen now, we've covered Snowpiercer, and uh, I guess uh, Live, Die, Repeat was based off of a light novel, which I think we didn't cover the actual manga, but we covered the um, the novelized version, but I remember looking at the manga. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so that that's basically all that we've covered in this in this realm. And then now we get into the old guard. Um, so and that's basically what I've read. Like I haven't read many comics beyond that, unless some are slipping my mind. Um, so once again, I feel like I'm I'm very new to this. So if I if I come in, I'm like, oh, so cool! I did all this stuff, you know. And you're gonna be like, yeah, they do mm-hmm. that all the time. Um, that might <laughs> happen. So you can let me know if, if anything is not actually new and exciting when I think it is. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this recently. How the comics were such a huge part of my of my like sort of nerddom growing up like i loved uh-huh. reading comics i love reading manga i love watching anime i loved you know fantasy novels and and all of these things um but strangely i feel like with the as as like the tide was rising for comic book movies i felt myself reading less and less comic books um mm-hmm. and i was thinking about the, during this i was like man it's just fun to sit down and, and i have jumped into some other series more recently like paper girls was one i was like starting to to try i didn't get all that far but i've been i've been slowly sort of like chiseling my way through that one um but i just love comics i think it's so cool to have this visual medium while also being very much like narrative writer writer focus like it's you mm-hmm. know the singular mind of of maybe not singular in comics case because you have your illustrators and things like that but a writer can really go to certain lengths that it would be much more expensive to do in like a movie or something like that you know they can do anything possible um, and not have to worry about the budget of, you know, yeah. be beholden to a budget and tell these like crazy over the top stories and in some cases. And um, I, I just really love the medium and anytime we're able to cover it. I think most of the reason why we haven't jumped fully headfirst into a lot of the comic book adaptations is it's a it's you know once we open that can of worms there's a lot of there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of movies a lot of and like i think we like, opened it's, it now though <laughs> yeah <laughs> you well, know it's also like well trodden i feel like at this point exactly. if we wanted to start talking about all the marvel movies like yeah we would be, you know it would take up a lot of our schedule and maybe we will eventually well but. i i think honestly i don't know that there's i i that's where i think we probably won't go we probably won't go to marvel or dc um just because so saturated and and I like the idea of doing these like somewhat lesser known comics, right? Or right. I mean, I guess Watchmen isn't lesser known, but but it's not you know it's not Marvel DC, which is like the the kings of all comics. It seems like right. Kind of yeah. I I would say like I wouldn't say never. We're never going to go there because I think there are sort of like certain arcs within stories that I think we could cover. They're pretty pretty concise and self contained to where we mm-hmm. could cover them, and they're not sort of just like your your typical like you know at the end there's a giant blue laser that's trying to kill everyone and that's the end of the world like you know digging more into character and digging more into right. like so sort of interesting yeah, concepts yeah i wasn't trying like to that. say that, that that wasn't the case it was more just that like we were talking about with saturation like i, I feel right. like there's a lot of marvel podcasts out there if you really want to get into that and people who know way more about comics than i do so i'd be coming in like such a noob to it yeah i think at some point we could we i could see us covering like a batman like one of the dark knight yeah. films or something Maybe. like that but i i you know for now, I don't think we're looking to go headfirst into like superheroes necessarily, but I do right. like this is a superhero story, you know, ultimately. It kind of is. I, I feel like there is um, some some subtle differences, though, between this story and like your typical superhero story, which I know like everybody's doing that these days. But um, these aren't like caped crusaders, uh, you know, by any stretch, you know what I mean? Like they're just people. And I think that's one of the things I love most about this story. And we're still in spoiler free section, so I won't get into it too much. But I think it's safe to say that if you've known anything about Old Guard, 
it is that it is about some immortals, right? Like, I think that's mm-hmm. in all the materials you'll ever see for this, and in all the trailers or what have you. Um, that conceit works really, really well here. I think it's it's one of those things that writers are always looking for, and that is a familiar concept with, like, a new twist that is interesting. So it's, like, familiar but fresh. And I was getting that for sure from this story because it's like, oh, yeah, we've, we, you know, we know about vampires. We know about all these other immortals we've read about over the years. But this felt different. Um, and, and I was trying to figure out, like, what really separates this and what makes it unique. Um, wh- what is your thoughts on that? Without spoiling, I guess we'll get we'll I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll circle back to this as we get more in depth. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that it was familiar. You know, I felt I felt like, okay, you're, they're, they're taking things that they like from a lot of different stories and kind of trying to push them all together. Um, things that I like the most about this story are sort of the historic elements. I feel like, yeah. you know, I think the, you know, the tantalizing little bits we get of like potential flashbacks we could be getting from really any era. Um, I felt like as somebody who really, you know, I, I, I feel like this, this also kind of um, awoke something in me that I haven't thought about a ton recently, but oh, <laughs> it's awoken something in you. Yeah, well, yeah. it's like history was my favorite, favorite one of my favorite subjects. I would say that that and English were like my favorite subjects sure. in school. And I realized like how much I haven't done any reading about you know pre modern era history. You know what I mean? I haven't yeah. done a lot of world history since high school. I guess you know maybe a little mm-hmm. bit in college. Um, and just thinking about um, certain eras. And how, you know, things could be playing out for characters because they are immortals. So, like, who knows what they've done in their lives? Uh, (laughs) I I just think, like, that sort of background material is the stuff that I was like, oh, man, I'm really interested in this stuff. Um, I think that's what's what's ripe for continuing the stories beyond this. Right. So let's um, let's approach this. I want to approach it from, like, spoiler free comics and then spoiler free movie real quick. So. As if someone was coming up to us who had not ever read, seen, or know, knows next to nothing about the Old Guard, and they're curious about reading the Old Guard comic, mm-hmm. what would, how would you describe this comic to them, and what would you say to them to get them to read it? Or would you say, don't bother? Like, how would you, how would you, I assume, we both seem to like it, so I think we would say yeah. to do it. So, uh, I think most people would agree, one of the, this, this is an awful, horrible movie. Not this movie, the Old Guard, but this is, I'm going to make it, I'm going to give an example. There's something in... Uh, Wolverine Origins or X-Men Origins Wolverine, that movie that came out in like 2007-ish. Okay. Uh, that movie, the best part of that movie is seeing Logan uh, through every war. Like seeing right. these flashbacks in the beginning of the film where it's like, oh my God, it's Wolverine and he's in the Civil War. And like those those moments, I think, always are interesting. I think seeing like a somebody who's like, you know, otherworldly in a battle it, that's mm-hmm. based in our history that of any kind of history, you know, we're seeing, you know, people think like what could possibly have happened if there were superheroes on the battlefield to sway battles and what lives would have been saved and how would things have been different. And like this kind of is able to give you some of that perspective and say like, maybe there was. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like, that's, that's sort of the thing that, that pulls me in. And then you just say like, you know, as time goes on, they, the the beginning of the movie, they're assassins. So they're, they're assassins for good. (laughs) <laughs> and there's also sort of a historical element that I personally find to be really interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, I think specifically on the comic, for me, I would highlight um, that it, I thought it was incredibly well written. Mm-hmm. I thought that there was a lot of um, really emotionally honest and real takes on what it would mean to be an immortal 
and what mm-hmm. it would what it would be like. And then um, you couple that with art that I found to be, um, I mean, it's beautiful, and I, I'm trying to find better words to describe it. Um, but I um, I, I want to shout out uh, Leandro Fernandez and Daniela Miwa, who color who did the color um, combined to the effect is is really incredible, and I felt like the color. Um, was striking throughout it, it was like there would be like these really like powerful blues on pages and then it would shift to orange and um it, it had like a had the look of like a cinematographer you know in, in a film like choosing how to how to how to light a scene or something um mm-hmm. and then you couple that with characters that um i, I don't know there were so many cool little details uh, and i felt like it's particularly andy was drawn in a way that was meant to evoke someone who might have been around a really long time and i won't get into like how old Mm -hmm. andy is because i think that is a spoiler but um the look of andy as drawn looked like somebody who could be very very old which i thought was cool to talk about color specifically i i like that you you know i'd like that you mentioned that i think a cinematographer depending on depending on the film typically you're gonna you're gonna look for realism within the colors and try to try to make something interesting that feels realistic um and being a comic i think they leaned into this with the colors and they made it, uh, you know, not realistic. And it yeah, worked stylish. because it would... That would be a word I would use. Right. Yeah. It, you know, you're getting blues to describe a panel. And in the same scene, you flip the page and then there's an orange tinted panel and like almost everything's orange. And it's like mm-hmm. based on sort of what emotion it's sort of trying to evoke or what what is supposed to be specifically like where your eye is supposed to be drawn. Yeah. Things like that. Um I found to be really interesting in this. And yeah, just the use of color in general. And, and like you said, there's definitely a good eye for, you know, cinematography, for photography in general, like framing and, and what yeah. looks most interesting and how to, you know, you have to use the medium that you're given, whether it's film or comics or whatever it is, and, and make it interesting to look at and make, you know, motiv- motivated shots, make things like yeah. something from way above looking down at the carnage of everything that's just happened, things like that. Yeah, there was um, a lot of that, like uh, there was like a bird's eye perspective on scenes sometimes, and, and I actually thought that was really cool. And, and tell me if this is not something new, but <laughs> the idea of like, we'd have like a, almost an establishing shot of like where we were. And then we'd have multiple little scenes taking place like inside of something that we are looking at. But the, 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 the sort of establishment would be like a background image that the panels were like over top of. Um, there's just like a lot of cool stuff like that. It was like really clever ways of implying like where things are taking place. I, I don't know. I just thought it was really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely a technique that's been used in comics for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I was and wondering... And then you'd see, uh, there was even when, a panel at, or at one point where you saw the character with, like appeared twice within the same panel. Like they were here at one point and they were like doing something else in the foreground and it sort of implied movement. time had passed within the same... I don't know, there's a lot of cool stuff that might just be basic comic stuff. But like I said, my, my sort of uh, only other experience with this was Watchmen, which was a sort of very strict on its structure for the most part and then would occasionally do a, like a splash mm-hmm. page um, but otherwise it was very regimented whereas this was not this had like a lot of big stuff and like panels appearing and kind of interesting in different places and right. sometimes it would actually branch across both pages 
Um, I was going to ask you about that. So I was worried when not not worried as much because I knew you'd figure it out. But I was I was thinking about you while I was reading, and I was like, I hope that he understands that like it's, it's not necessarily like a left to right medium at all times. Like there's sometimes yeah that it's sort no, of, I, and I was getting I would get confused sometimes, but like you figure it out. But I right. did, I was thinking about how there seems to be a reliance on sort of a shared knowledge of how to read a comic that I don't really have. And and I remember watching a, like a YouTube video this guy did talking about introducing video games to his girlfriend who had never played a video games before. And he like talked about all the things that we take for granted as gamers because like game makers assume you've played a video game before when they make their video games. And like she had never played a video game before. She, she didn't understand like all these things. And I felt that way. I feel that way a little bit with comics. Like I'm coming in and I'm like, wait, where, does, where am I supposed to read? And like sometimes I get a little bit lost, but usually I can kind of muddle my way through it. So if you're like me and you haven't ever read comics and that, that seems intimidating for you, like just know that you will figure it out. And it's, it's not too bad. And at worst that happens is that you might read something out of order and be a little bit confused and then have to like go back and, and figure out the way you were supposed to read it. So specifically with this story, there was something that was kind of, it's kind of more of a throwback. Um, but I was wondering how much the sort of boom, 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 bang, 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 word, word bubbles oh, were yeah. bothering you throughout. Because that was something else that I was like, ooh, this is kind of like a stylistic choice. And I don't know how, like, if you're not familiar with that kind of stuff, because a lot of the time when I see that, it's like, it's almost like, a, I don't know, I, I kind of just like read by it. And like understanding that it's there, but it doesn't like, it's not jarring to me. Did you feel mm-hmm. any of that? Because I did think maybe you wouldn't like love how much because there was a lot yeah. of it in this story there a was a lot there's a lot of gun fire and they definitely threw up a bunch of the like onomatopoeia kind of words to try and evoke that and it's very comic book and it's it's almost like comic book cliche that you, i remember seeing in movies where they throw it up on screen and you're like oh they're doing the comic book thing the old like 60s batman like exactly yeah, like I, yeah. I knew what they were doing um and it was okay, and like honestly, like I I got the sense that it was just trying to sort of evoke a sound in you, so that like you'd be looking at a panel with like something happening, but then like in the background, words of like gunfire is just filling the entire frame, mm-hmm. and I think it was just sort of to imply that the sound is just like overwhelming and deafening, and so and it does work. I at think at times it worked, and then at times I felt a little bit like. And I don't know how this I would have I could have done without it here. I could have just seen the gun firing and I could have provided the noise myself, I guess. So I guess I was mixed on it a little bit. Yeah, I figured you would feel that way. But the uh, I think it worked. I think if you sit and actually think about it, like you're saying and you think like bang, bang in your in your mind, you're actually reading what's being said. Like it does evoke that in your mind and you're hearing it yeah. more than you would necessarily because you and it makes you take your time a little more yeah. and look at the frame and think about well, and it. They were clever with it, too. They'd be like they they'd describe it with like different onomatopoetic words to try and really evoke the sound, the specific mm-hmm. sound that gun is making in this. Right. Moment. Like a machine gun sounds different than like a sniper rifle. Exactly. Sounds different than a, yeah. So, yeah. So, I, for the most part, it worked for me. I, I will say that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the movie a little bit, spoiler free, um, then we can really get into it. But um, yeah, the movie, uh, I thought it was really good. I was really excited to come into this movie after reading the comic, um, but I was also a little bit like uh, anxious because I really enjoyed the comic and right. it was so stylish and cool. Mm-hmm. And oh, the, another thing about it, it's sexy. This is a sexy comic yeah. and, it, and, it's, and it's sexy in a way that I think um, is difficult to do. Um, but I think he does it well. And I think that this is sort of the thing that I would show someone who, cause you'll, you'll hear from people who are like against quote unquote PC culture and they'll say things like, oh, we can't have fun anymore. We can't be sexy anymore. 
things like that, right? And I would mm-hmm. show them this comic and say, like, you can do it. You just have to do it in a, the right way. And I think this is done the right way. And it's, it's a way that, in my opinion, is inclusive and doesn't um, doesn't necessarily, like, make anyone feel bad. It doesn't feel like a male gaze to me. It felt like, the, it, like it felt like, I mean, maybe at times, but like, it felt like there was, like, both gazes were represented. Um, I don't know. It, it just, it, it never felt like it was um, trying to completely over-sexualize the people being presented, yet it was still showing them as being very attractive. Well, it's like, you know, when I think of like super hyper ridiculous toxic masculine uh, male gaze sort of sexualized shots, I think of like Megan Fox and Transformers where it's like, like a yeah. you know low angle tight shot of her butt yeah. that goes to her boobs that goes to her face and all that well, or in comics like right like people show like how you, how someone might draw like spider woman versus spider man and like the poses they might strike versus you know what i mean right. like they'll be like, bent over in like an anatomically incorrect way to show both their tits and their ass at the same time and it looks yeah wild yeah so like i you know i i think there's a way there if there's a way for people to be sexual beings yeah. in a story and exactly. not have it's it like be sex like, positive instead of right. yeah exploited instead of being like exactly it's not ex- yeah. there you're not exploiting somebody or objectifying somebody and, and just if you have a shot of, of megan fox and you're not doing that i guarantee people are still going to think that she's attractive you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah it's not you, you don't need to do that to achieve that goal and have like right. s- sell sex within the story but like i mean there's like nudity and people having sex in here and like right you know what I mean? But it's it's just it's done in a tasteful way while still being like clearly this comics for an adult to read. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. like I, I guess I gave it props. And that is one thing that um, I felt was somewhat missing from the adaptation. I don't think it detracts, but the adaptation, in my opinion, lost most of that sort of sexuality. There was a little mm-hmm. bit of it, but for the most part, it was stripped away. Um, we do still get all the violence, though. It's interesting. Like, the violence was kept. It was very sort of bloody in the comic and very bloody in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was not a lot of explicit nudity and sex in the movie at all, if, unless I'm yeah. misremembering. I mean, no, I don't. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so I guess to talk about the movie without spoiling, I think that we've talked a little bit about sort of the premise of the story and, like, yeah. what was... What I think is a really it has a ton of potential within the story. I think there's a lot to. I think it's a great idea. It's a great jumping off. Point. Absolutely. I was gonna say this reminds me of like what I said about Jurassic Park, and I think I've said it about other things. I'm like, this is just a fucking million dollar, billion dollar idea. Like it's a great idea, and right. I, I think really good it's idea. executed really well. Yeah, and it feels familiar while also feeling fresh and new, yep. and like I think the interesting takes are being done here. You know what I felt was holding me up with the adaptation was sort of we've talked about so how how hyper stylized the 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 book was um and i felt like this was meant to be like a charlize theron like action vehicle in the same way that there are like action vehicles for male actors and i think that in 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 i have the same criticism with those movies where it's it's very much centered on the action within the story and you know i think there are great moments of character within this i think added scenes of character characterization like showing characters and how they feel about each other and you know why they feel that way because these are ancient beings i think they those scenes still work and i think I, there's enough here for me to sort of want a sequel if there is to be a sequel to see sort of uh if they can pull off the potential of the story even more than this does but I do think it was really this was really centered on like delivering an action movie 
with Charlize Theron leading. And honestly, like a lot of the action wasn't as interesting as I would have hoped. I, I think that it's it's interesting combat. I just think that, and I could tell that the actors had great choreography. I could tell that there was really big set pieces that they had set up. And I think they were paying off basically beat for beat what was happening in the comic. But something about sort of the the style of the camera work didn't work as well for me as sort of the cam- as, as the comic book did. It's tough. I mean, I... I didn't really have that criticism, but I th- I can see what you're saying, and I think it I think it's kind of like we're spoiled for action a little bit because we've seen like John Wick now, like we've seen we've seen action done at such a level that the bar is so high, right, for action to like uh, to like surprise us and to do something that we're like oh I haven't seen that before like it's so difficult to do that. And I thought the action was good and, and enjoyable, but yeah, I mean, it maybe doesn't quite reach that height, right, of like some of the best action movies out there that you'll see with just super crisp choreography everywhere that is surprising and interesting. Like it was, it was like a, it was like just like a half step behind that, you know? What, what I would, what I would say is like, I know that they put in the work. Like I, I could see yeah. that it was Charlize Theron doing the stunts, you know what I mean? I right. could see that they were doing the actual choreography there and I, I applaud them for that. But it was something about the way that, it um it all came together that it just felt like sort of a lot of we we literally just talked about this in Princess Bride when we were talking about the uh, the combat and sort of like what it looks like to have like lockdown open shots in combat mm-hmm. and like this had moments of that but a lot of the combat just happened to be like flash tight shot of a gun like punches and things like that and the, there were the moments of actual stunts being done which i do think was good and like you said you know it's hard to it's hard to like walk in and say like compare this to john wick because like like you said the bar the bar is really high and i think that like you said it, it is like it's right there but what i think where it falls for me is that this is a action movie first like it's it's to me it was pitched as an action movie like i'm looking at the trailer it looks like charlie's throwing action and ha- and seeing her in something like atomic blonde and then seeing her in this movie, I just feel like it's a difference in in combat. But I will say, like, sort of the premise is more interesting to me than Atomic Blonde. So, like, the the sort of uh, characters that care about each other and like have been through a lot together, and um, so even some of the changes I think were smart from the comic yeah. as well to sort of create more tension, which we'll get into when we get into spoilers, which we're going to get into soon. But uh, just in general, I, I want to. So while I agree with you about the action. For me, the action was never the point. Um, I think I, I maybe I didn't because I don't know that I ever saw the trailer for this. I, like I honestly didn't know a lot going, about it. I mean, I'd only seen people reacting to it online. And for me, after reading the comic, I was just excited about the story and seeing the characters and their relationships. I have and, one thing I wanted to say real quick. I okay. did watch the movie before I, I read the book. Uh, oh, you in this did? Case. Yeah, I should have said that earlier on. Okay, so that, yeah, that is going to change your experience. That's really interesting. Yes, because I went in after having read the comic and was really excited to see what they were going to do with the characters. Um, and I, I was sort of delighted by the extra details we got for a lot of them. I, I, I don't know. I, I had a great time with this movie. And I watched it with my wife, who had not read the comic at all and had not ever heard of The Old Guard, <laughs> not just seen a trailer. I just told her, let's watch this movie. And she's like, okay. Um, she loved it. She had a great time. And she, she was like, you know, really into the premise, thought it was a really cool idea, thought like the characters were all super interesting. Like the idea that all five of these characters would have these rich backstories 
and really interesting interpersonal relationships. And that's what carries the movie for me. That's what makes this yeah. a notable movie that I would recommend to people. I think you go in for the story and for the characters, and then the added bonus is it's got good action, if not the best action you've seen. You right. Know, and I think I, I I think I would take I would be willing to say, like, yeah, I agree with that because the like I said, I think there's enough here for me to want to see a sequel to pay off sort of what I feel like the potential of the story is. Going into the movie, I thought that it was going to be a fully just like an action movie, sort of like nonstop. All it is is action with like the premise of like they can't die through. I think the thing that pulled me in and made me think, like I said earlier, I want I would want to see a sequel was like you said, the characters and how they work together and the sort of just that that tight knit story of you know, they're the only ones watching their backs. And and I think it did a great job of setting up Niall, a new character. And like, I, I want to see more of her as well. So, you know, like I said, I want to see the sequel to this. I just, yeah. I don't know. I was expecting, I, I think the hype may have gotten to me as well. Like I thought it was, there was like a lot, I think going into I this, might have there hyped was it like, up to you too much because it was, it was, it was like me passing along hype to you. Right. Well, you did. <laughs> and then I was like, I was like starting to see little stuff here and there about it. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Mm-hmm. This is going to be, this is going to be like the, the next massive okay. thing. I mean, it sounds like you liked it, but maybe weren't as, weren't as, uh, taken with right. it as I, I was. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I loved it. That's that's okay. how I'll leave it, you know. Okay, that's fair. Uh let's move into uh spoiler talk. Um but first I want to talk about uh Greg Rucka a little bit. So, uh first off, Greg Rucka also wrote the screenplay uh for the Old Guard film. So, it is very much like what we just talked about with Princess Bride. It is a cohesive sort of creative vision there. Um he is an American comic book writer, screenwriter and novelist. Uh, known for his work on well-known comics such as Action Comics, Batwoman, Detective Comics, the DC Comics miniseries Superman, World of New Krypton, and as well for creating image comic series Lazarus and novels such as Atticus, Kodiak series. He also wrote the screenplay for The Old Guard based on his comic series of the same name. And uh, yeah, this guy is prolific. Um, lots of comics, lots of novels. Um, he's written He's written like a dozen novels or more. And tons of different comics. A um, lot of well-known, uh, speaking of just like Marvel and, and DC, like lots of well-known properties I'm seeing on his list here. Um, so so really an impressive uh, a guy who's fairly young. I mean, he was born in 1969, so he's 50 years old approximately. Um, one cool thing I also saw, lives in Portland, Oregon. Oh, wow. Cool. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah, funny. so fellow, fellow Portlander, maybe I'll see him one of these days at something um, It's possible. Yeah. I, I found something in my research that I wanted to run by you. I read that, so Greg Rucka wrote the first draft of the screenplay, um, and then Charlize Theron came aboard, and then she had a bunch of issues with it, apparently. Um, they were raised in a conference call. These issues were raised with Theron in the conference call and Rucka, and afterwards, Rucka was quoted as saying it was one of the worst experiences of his career. He he did another rewrite after that, but was then but was fired. Theron's production company commissioned a new script from new writers, but Netflix hated that version. And then when Gina Prince Bythewood came aboard, she recommissioned Rucka, who was able to patch up his differences with Theron. Wow! No, I didn't. I didn't see that. Um, the, the the thing I had seen was about Gina Prince Bythewood and how. She had a huge, I, I listened to him uh, talk about how she had like a, a ton of enthusiasm for the project and mm-hmm. he felt like it really came alive in her hands because she was so excited about it. 
mm-hmm. and he was excited to work with her on it. Um, so it sounded like those two visions really lined up. I, I didn't see that about uh, Charlie's Theron. So I'm, I'm interested. So uh, are we in spoilers now? I guess we are, right? One of the major changes in this version is that Andy becomes essentially mortal in the movie mm-hmm. at a version. And I was wondering if that was a forced um, change by her because she might not be wanting to commit to future version, like to like a, a, a series of movies or something, which seems like this is going to be a series of comics. It was like giving her an out instead of making her an eternal character. Maybe yeah. I, I do think it works for the for the story though because that's a change that I actually liked. Um, I think we can get more into that when we it's really start to dig in. I was very surprised by it um, because, mm-hmm. like I said, I read the comic first. <laughs> um, where that isn't. Yeah, I watched the movie first and was expecting it to happen in the comic, and yeah. then it never did. Yeah, um, which no, I understand does. from a comic perspective to continue to go on for for you know a really long time, and um, it, that's also an interesting decision that was made with this to have it be clearly it's not a show; it's a movie. Yeah. Whereas you know Netflix loves to make shows out of things. Uh, so I think that's that's also something interesting to think about is like what what does this look like as a show probably a little more dragged out and sure. you would need more than just this first volume you could probably do like a mini series for each chapter um, do an yeah. hour long episode something like that you could get even more into the characters I think it would have worked um, but I think it worked mm-hmm. as a movie honestly um, yeah. and and yeah I, I mean it's hard to speculate on like what the changes were that she wanted. And then like, we Mm -hmm. don't know because it sounds like they didn't end up going with a lot of them and they patched it over and found a middle ground. And so it's tough to say. It's possible that Prince Bythewood wanted the change to sort of create tension within the story as well. Yeah. Because I don't know that it was this change though. That's just one I noticed, right? Like that's one of the biggest ones that stands out to me. Right. Yeah. It is a change. So it's like, we're going to talk about it regardless of who, who it was that made the decision. So let's focus on the comic a little bit before we get to the movie and all the differences. Um, in the comic, um, there was a particular panel that I wanted to read or a couple of panels, I guess, um, passage that I wanted to read because I thought it was kind of like the emotional core of what this story is about. Um, and I, and I found it really striking. So it's when, uh, Niall, who is the new, um, uh, immortal is being brought in and she's in the car with Booker and Andy. And uh, she has been told to ask Booker like why she can't see her family. And then Booker tells her why this is what he says. You will watch all of them die. Niall. You will watch everyone you have loved pass away. And if you try to touch their lives, they will ask questions and through your answers, they will learn your secret and they will ask you to share it with them. And you will not be able to. And they will curse your name. They will beg. They will implore. They will not believe you when you say you cannot help them. And in desperation, they will do things to forever taint your memory of them. And they will still die. And so they will grow desperate. And you will never forget what they became before they did. I really like that because I've heard, I feel like I've heard this before, right? Like, And I've never been... I've never been particularly convinced by other versions of this argument, right? Like, yeah, it would suck to see someone you love grow old and die. Like, that would suck. Obviously, it would be sad. But the idea of them turning on you and, and like, it, it tainting your memory of them because they wouldn't believe you when you told them that you can't give it to them and their desperation over that. And uh, that and one other passage, um, which I won't read in its entirety, just because it's actually longer than that, um, were like just really struck me, and, and that was the scene in the armored car 
um, between Joe and Nikki and um, where where, where uh, Joe professes his love for Nikki. And, and they're, they're sort of getting a moment where the uh, soldiers around them are like, he makes a joke like, what is it, your boyfriend? And then he just goes off on him and describes this like epic yeah. immortal love they have. And uh, I love that scene. I thought it was excellent. And I was so happy to see that like basically word for word in the adaptation as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I mean, you can see that, that, like I said, this is the things that I like about the premise is this idea of it, it puts the reader in a situation or the watcher in a situation where you sit and you think like, okay, what would it be like to lose everyone I loved? You know, this is a wish fulfillment story. And in certain ways, I think the idea of immortality, people, people yearn for in some ways. And they're like, how cool would it be to be unkillable and all these, all these things. But like, you know, you think about how tortured you would be and like what the effect would be. Like you said, yeah. if, if you couldn't save the people you loved and then they, they came to despise you and said things that they wish that, you know, that in their darkest moments, they said things to you that would scar that yeah. your memory they of turned on you and, 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 and yeah. didn't believe you and hated you. Like, right. yeah. That would... And just think about psychologically, like w- the kind of issues you develop over millennia. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like we live for a hundred years maybe. Yeah. And like, uh, think about all the stuff that people, PTSD that people develop over their mm-hmm. lifetime and things like that, that they go through. And like, just what all of that would bring about and how emotionally just like scarred you would be. And that's the kind of stuff that this story does well is bringing up that those ideas to the us mortals who could never, you know, <laughs> contend or even yeah. imagine what it would be like. And, so, he, and then and then also, you know, that goes to show and inform the love that that Joe and Nikki have and how we literally can't even comprehend it because we're just so we're infants in comparison. You know, we're, yeah, we, we I did like know. how in the adaptation that was sort of turned on like it was set out right by Booker. Like you can't understand because you have each other. Uh, right. You can't understand how alone we are. And I thought that was powerful. And I, I liked that it was because I think that's implied in the comic. But like. You know, comics don't have as much words usually. Like it's a lot more subtext, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that is implied by by what happened. But I like that it was sort of spelled out in the adaptation because I think it's a powerful note to to land there. Um, and it is very different for them, right? To have the sort of immortal love that is still burning bright, um, and and versus the idea of being alone forever like that, like never being able to form a fr- a lasting relationship. Um, mm-hmm powerful but so i do want to also touch on my criticism i had of the comic because i've been i feel like i've been like very over the top in my praise because i did really really like this comic um one thing that i did find though was in the third act i'll call it when they are sort of uh going to the final (laughs) confrontation uh with with merrick i think i don't is his name merrick in both versions i thought it was just pharma bro something or other yeah, farmer bro yeah exactly tech bro farmer bro um and it's funny because i was like this guy is just kind of like boring as a uh a villain he's kind of like corny he's kind of cheesy he's kind of like super tropey um but i i i liked in the comic in particular where it felt like he actually wasn't the villain like the villain was actually more booker um who but then he gets redeemed and I, I love the way the comic ended and, and, and the movie ended too, but um, Booker, you know, betrays them and then um, is is sentenced to 100 years of solitude at the end. And I thought that was really powerful. And I liked that it, it was like the focus of the villain was actually 
it was like that guy was just beside the point like he's one in a million like there's going to be more of these guys let's not worry about it it was more about booker and his betrayal i think that that is like the most memorable piece of that final that final act um and then everything surrounding this pharma bro um i i felt like it was kind of expected and it kind of happened really fast in the comic and then it was over um and it was cool like there's a lot of cool scenes in there um but I, i don't know like everything else had felt so fresh and interesting i wanted something a little different at the end and i felt like the movie delivered a little more of that than than the comic did so i'll give credit there i think maybe i was putting too much on just the movie in my criticism i think you're digging into some of the things that i was trying to highlight with saying the things that i liked about the story so i highlighted the the idea of the historic elements and i think the relationship between the characters is the strong point and then sort of this premise is so rich and to just like kind of have the the sort of conflict in this story be so, like you said, predictable in ways and have it be this farmer bro that really doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And yeah, maybe the book, the Booker situation does kind of redeem it in ways, but I found the, the that's why I'm like, oh, I want more of this story because there's so much potential here to have really interesting stories. Yeah. It feels like it feels like the opening. I mean, it's called what is this book one opening fire? And that's right. what it feels like. It feels like there is more story to be told here. And and I would assume it could go to new heights because I think there is there's room for this to go to even greater heights, in my opinion. And and I know volume two exists. It's out there. So, I, you know, I, I want to read it, honestly. So whether we cover it or not, I want to read it. Yeah. I mean, Charlize Theron said she would be she would be game for a sequel. And like cool. after a little bit of time has gone on and everything. Yeah. So well, it was popular, I think too. It's, <laughs> and, and just to like jump ahead a little bit. This was watched by 70 million people on Netflix yeah. over the course of the first few weeks yeah. and making it one of the most... Yeah, I'll do a sequel. <laughs> making it one of the top 10 most successful things, to, uh, Netflix originals. Yeah. Um, so, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of peep eyes on this, and I yeah. think there's a lot of good that will come of it. And I think with that much attention, that much more attention will be poured into a sequel, sort of mm-hmm. marketing-wise, budget-wise, the things that they can do. And I felt like there was something in this in this film, and this is, I guess, we're starting. I'm yeah. starting to transition us into the film a little bit. Not yet. I want to talk about the comics a little but bit. Let more. me say. Let me just say this one thing, and I'll <laughs> okay. and I'll stop. Um, it did feel. It did feel sort of like a Netflix t- TV movie. You know what I mean? I didn't. There were times that I felt like it. It it was couldn't bridge into like movies. Yeah, I didn't feel that way. I don't know, man. I think I, I think the fact that you're watching it on Netflix on a TV might be affecting you too much. This felt like a mo- like a big budget movie to no. me. No, it felt like something I could see on TV. That's that's not. It was. It took place in in a lot of boardrooms and a lot of like small small hallways. I will say the sets. That's the one place I'll agree. It felt like they they uh, did not go for the most expensive sets and and sort of like big. And I'll be interested to see with with, with the popularity of this if maybe it mm-hmm. gets a bigger budget next time. That's and, what I think will happen. And I think yeah. I'll be very excited to see that because they had some great establishing shots. They did, they did go to a lot of locations, it felt like. Right, there's but, a lot of great establishing shots. And yeah. then we're in sort of dark rooms and hallways and like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of, yeah. we're in a lot of rooms, I would say. Yeah, I could see that. Especially at the end, there's a lot of like, they went to a house and then they went to a building that was kind of nondescript and it was a lot of hallways and stuff, like you said. But. It, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. Let's finish up the comic book and then I'll talk about the filmmaking. I just wanted to say one more thing about the comic. There there was a particular thing they did several times I thought was really cool, and it was this like fading to bright, like to white. There's like a fade to white 
mm-hmm. at the end of like different scenes. One shot, one shot specifically that I feel like you're also talking about yeah. is the one where um, when Niall dies for the first time, for the first time, and is yeah, shot and is it. laying down, yeah. and her body is sort of fading to white in the comic yeah. in the in the panel. Yeah, yeah, in the panel. Yeah. Anyway, I yeah. don't know if that's like something they do all the time or not, but I just thought it was really cool. Uh, it was effective. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know that I've seen that specific thing before, so maybe it yeah. is new to this, but it it's definitely a, you know effective stylistic choice to like sort of show someone's life fading off yeah. the page. Like that's that's cool. really cool. Okay, now we can get to the movie. Yeah, so I mean, I really enjoyed this movie. I um, I like that. I said it before. I really like to see certain scenes. Like even that that passage I did read for the most part was in this movie. Um, they showed they showed some cool stuff with Booker. Um like walking out of a hospital or something where he had interacted with, with somebody. And um, I thought that was effective. It didn't quite hit the same note for me, like as powerful a note, I guess, as it did in the comic, but it might've been because it was a rehash of something I'd already read. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I, when I read it in the comic, I thought it was really powerful. Um, but, and then the, the love between Joe and Nikki and the, the armored truck scene, I thought was just fantastically just brought to life. It's one of those moments mm-hmm. where I was just so happy to see something make the make the transition and 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 yet retain all of its heart yeah while we're talking about differences i do want to jump in to talk about something i loved from the movie that was a change from the book so in the book i think it's very clear that um i can't i think her name changes in from book to to movie but in the movie her name is like quien and she's the character that andy finds first uh after be like she's andy's been an immortal for a long time and then she finds quinn and this is the character that in the book, I think she has a different name, but this is the character that in the movie eventually would be, they would be separated because they were being like sort of tortured before being witches. And then she would be thrown in the Iron Maiden and thrown in the ocean. Yeah. So um, I think in the, on the page in the book, it's sort of said that she like jumps off the ship or falls off the ship or something like that. And she's never seen. Yeah. Again. I don't even know this is the same character. So th- yeah, there's an interesting sort of, um, I don't know where this if this character was an invention for the movie. I suspect it's a, it's it's from volume two. That's just, as I was going to say, it might be a volume two thing that is being brought into this to, for like consistency's sake. But yeah, yeah, because when when the character is mentioned who drowned and then they like knew it was their time, it's kind of just said and then glossed over and then never talked about again. Right, which is leaving the door open. Whereas in the movie, like we spend a lot of time talking about that. Yeah, and I thought that was great. Like the idea and of horrific being and scary and and like terrifying. Great addition. Yeah, the idea of just like waking up and drowning over and over again for five hundred years and it driving you insane like that that's powerful stuff so um yeah I, I like that i like that change i yeah i suspect it's something from volume two that's my guess yeah which makes me which brings me back to the things i love about this the most are when we flash back and we see some of the crazy stuff that went on and some of the the intrigue that's gone on before the story like i think this story is great this story is great for setting up a, a world i think it's got a super rich history and i think it's got a super rich future um, and I'm really excited to see more of that on either end of the spectrum there. Uh, but let's talk about the filmmaker a little bit because I do this. This is kind of a big deal. I want I wanted you to hear this. Okay. So Gina Prince Bythewood is an American film director and screenwriter. She is known for directing the films Love and Basketball 2000, The Secret Life of Bees 2008, Beyond the Lights 2014, and The Old Guard 2020. And recently, we we actually added 
the secret life of bees to our list right of stuff that we might yeah, cover in the potential, future yeah potential projects yeah that's a cool one yeah we we were like considering that one heavily for a while um i think it ended up losing out to, to the beale street adaptation we did which has uh, another interesting connection okay. what's the beale street connection did you did you figure it out or realize it at all no i don't know it okay so kiki lane who plays nile is the main actress from if beale street could talk oh you're right jesus yeah that's yeah that's wild she looks so familiar i didn't i couldn't place it that's so funny i was so excited when i when i saw that i was like oh my god we just saw her that's so cool no you're totally right you're totally right so really cool to see her again um i want to talk about uh gina prince bythewood right now though so love and basketball i i remember seeing that when it came out and it was massive Mm mm-hmm well, I was reading that it won best best first screenplay at the Independent Spirit Awards. It grossed like thirty million dollars or something like that. It was it was a huge hit for her, and it became like one of the most popular basketball films of all time. So she like like to kick off her career with that and win all these like sort of indie film awards and like to go around and be admired in that way was really cool. And then to see this follow through, she um, she's directed a lot for television. She directed some I think she directed the pilot of Cloak and Dagger, which is another comic book uh, sort of material. But something that I found in my research is that she's the first black female director to direct a big budget superhero. This is considered superhero. So big budget superhero film interesting this yeah it's it's a it's a weird fit for superhero i contend still that it's it's like it, it's definitely like got a foot in the space you know it's it's definitely kind of i mean people thing. are considering it as far as like like you know landmark moments people are considering it a land a, a landmark moment for sure. you know and, black and female i want to give it to her so i i'm you right. know i'm ex- I'll, i'm happy there i just the movie it almost feels reductive to call this a superhero movie it, to, in some I mean, I can see that, me. but I, I mean, the only reason that I push back against that because I feel like people have this idea of what a superhero movie is, yeah. and like they can be so much more than that, and like yeah. that's why I'm like, this is definitely a superhero movie. But are, but uh, are they heroes? Like, I mean, like, kind it's of. a genre though. It's not it's not about <laughs> yeah. like the words within it. It's like a genre. It's gotcha. like at this point they have superpowers, right? So they're immortal. That is basically it. I, I mean, it is yeah. cool. One of the things I love about this, um, I, I, I'm not, I mean, I know you're telling me about the, the filmmaker, but I love the idea of like, if you could just live as long as Andy lives, the amount of knowledge that you would accrue over time would in and of itself be a superpower. She right. would be like a demigod. And I loved mm-hmm. the line that was not in the comic where she said, I was worshipped as a god at one point, <laughs> which I love mm-hmm. because it, this is the kind of thing you could totally see happening. And yeah, like j- just the knowledge you would accrue would make you almost an, into a demigod, which is yeah. pretty cool to think about. The brushes that she has with famous act, like famous artists through history mm-hmm. and like the people well, that they've known. It's implied that she <laughs> had more than just a brush with a lot of them, yeah. Which is right. pretty cool. Well, and I that know, was something just... big in the in the in the comic. It was like <laughs> she like got she slept with a lot of people over the yeah. ages, and that was not really touched on much in the adaptation. She even was like, I remember a quote from the book where she said like she slept with, you know, entire populations and yeah. things like that. And the experiences just to encompass over time, you would right just to encompass the the amount of experiences that you, that you would amass over thousands yeah. and thousands of years. Well, and she's like always searching for like feeling. Right. So so it seems like it makes sense that this would be something she would do. Um, I, you know, I think something anyone would do in this situation. Um, and because you can't have a lasting long term relationship. So what you can do is have very short you know one night stand type deals or or maybe even slightly longer you'd have a, you could have a lot of them but they always would have to be 
you couldn't let them grow into anything bigger because of the reason that Booker outlined, right? Like, so you'd have to avoid mm-hmm. that. Um, there is also a really cool section um, that is, does it, is it touched on at all in the movie? I don't think so, where, where she talks about, uh, oh, it kind of is. It's, it, she talks about maybe having a love with someone else, but there was a really cool section yeah. of the comic where she um, fought, like essentially has this love of her life for a while that um, grows old and then she eventually has to leave because he, they become worried that people are going to ask too many questions. But that was a really cool, just like little background story about. Yeah, that was yeah, cool. And, and over the course of her life, of course, there was a time in which she, she had this great love that is now long gone. Like, cause eventually she would have, she would try it out. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Even though she knows how bad it would hurt, she would need, she She's would like, need oh, it. Yeah, at some I point. know I've been there. I yeah. had this great love of my life. And then that was, you know, 150 yeah. years ago. And then that's not even to mention Lycan, who is the other immortal. So she finds like uh, Quinn and then she finds Lycan and Lycan's like the first one who t- of the immortals to be killed in, yeah. in battle and like and I actually bet, stayed. I don't in. think he appears in the comic at all, but I, I in, in volume he does. one. No, he does. He does? Yeah, it's very brief. It's very brief. No, no, no. He he died the same similar way. He died in combat and then oh, they wow. like Okay, I missed that. Anyway, the point my point being that like I, I one of the things that I'm excited for like a volume 2 about is like I feel like there's infinite amount of other little stories like this you could get, right? Right? Yeah. I mean, this is like I remember like early Assassin's Creed. People, you know, Assassin's Creed revolutionized sort of gaming of that time period for like climbing and searching and missions and sneaking and a lot of this stuff sure. but the thing that i remember a lot is like oh my god i get to go get weapons made by leonardo da vinci you know what i mean like those are the things that i loved about that series and like going through history and so like getting to see andy interact with any like jesus like i thought jesus was going to be mentioned in some way right like an immortal how could you, how, how could that, I, I just thought that was so, it was so close to being a Jesus reference somewhere in here. Like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah I knew him. I don't know. Is he still around right now? Is, is he immortal? Like, mm-hmm. We're immortal. You know what I mean? I think that that, so there could have been a commentary there, but you know, maybe they just didn't want to, they didn't want to jump into that territory and have a bunch of <laughs> yeah, uh, probably not. religious people upset with them. Uh, one of the changes that I really liked, and this is something my wife actually pointed out, and um, I remember rem- remembering it because I was like, that was new. Copley had a really cool connection to Pharma Pharma Bro with it being about his wife who had ALS and wanting Mm -hmm. to save her. And um, that character was so much more likable and relatable in the film version than the Copley we got in the comic book. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it was all achieved through this like pathos or whatever that this character had right like it this is a deep emotional core and and reason for doing things and um it it made the character way more interesting to me um in a way whereas copley was somewhat forgettable in my opinion in the the comic Mm. i mean she would tell edgy for like whoever he plays in any movie you're gonna remember and you're gonna be like holy shit i love him exactly Uh, yeah i do i agree i think i love the thing that i love about copley specifically in the movie it's it's in the it's in the you know the novel as well or the comic as well uh he's the you know he's tracking them he but he betrays them per se Mm -hmm. um and ultimately he finds purpose for these immortals who've been looking for purpose for thousands of years and i did think you know i don't know how much that That was was touched on in the in the not in the comic but like that idea yeah i mean he doesn't have that same like i'm gonna be i'm gonna help you that he gets tasked with in the movie that was definitely different i i don't know if they go there in volume two or not um and it's cool though because this is all greg rucka you know what i mean it wasn't like someone came in and wrote a screenplay for his material and just like went roughshod. You know what I mean? It, it was, he, he was doing this. So whenever that happens, it's kind of like the expanse, right? Like uh, we talked about with that, like it's being written by the same people who write the novels. So it, it, there's sort of a blending of the canon. So even if that doesn't occur in the comics, 
it's still sort of part of the same canon. It's just like a different medium. I think because of that, like because of that moment, like giving them purpose, seeing that like, oh, these people they've been saving have been down generations later. They're sort of like automatically going to affect culture in some ways, society and better society. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, like a, a more neat way to say like, OK, like this is the arc of the characters. Now they understand their mission and now they can go out and perform it more. And I would assume, like you said, I would assume Rucka was setting this up in the script, in the screenplay, because he was planning on doing it in the, you know, in the continuation of his story. Maybe. I would assume. You know, or it could be a chance to revise, you know, coming in and do the adaptation. Hey, let's let's revise it and add something different. Yeah. Let's talk about um, a a couple changes really quickly, though. So so what what did you think ultimately, full spoilers and everything about the change to make Andy mortal? You know, it it, it did add a... um, an urgency it added a real sense of danger for the character at the end um it made us worry about her so in that sense i liked it it did a little bit take away the badass factor though because we didn't get to see andy in sort of her full immortal demigod mode that we get at the end of the comic where she really shines and shows like just how formidable she would be um, we get a little bit of that in the movie, but the fact that she all of a sudden just lost it, and I don't know, they, I mean, they tied it into the idea of like maybe she lost her her uh, regenerative power when Niall became immortal, or it was somehow tied to that. Um, I, I obviously, it couldn't have been one for one because she died after that, but I guess that makes sense. But for me, it felt too convenient a little bit, mm-hmm. I guess because it was a big change and I knew that. I remember going like, well, what? So she just lost it, you know, out of the blue f- after 6,000 years for no real reason that we're going to like mm-hmm. outline. Well, it seems like it seems like that's like what they're destined to do, right? Like eventually right, they die. But that's the point. Like, I don't know. Like we just met this character and then all of a sudden it happens to her. Like it just felt too, it felt early to me. Like I, I felt like yeah. eventually I expect the comic is going to go there, but mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to happen in this first movie. It felt too soon. Yeah. I think for a movie, it makes sense to increase the stakes like that, right? Like crank the stakes to as high as you possibly can, put a, put a ticking time clock in, in place. And, you know, like I, I remember at the beginning, and you have to remember, like I watched the movie first. So like I, I thought that this was sort of the arc of the character anyway. Um, but, you know, I started the movie like, oh my God, they're badasses. They're just going to tear through everybody. And then very soon we we learned the, the this idea that they drop their mortality eventually just out of the blue. They don't come back sometime. Um, and there's many, many times where I was expecting I was going to be I was because I think some of my favorite stuff in this movie is between Joe and Nikki. I, I you know, I mm. love Joe and Nikki's connection, yeah. like the love, all of that stuff, even even like reading it straight off the and page. How cool is it to, to put a male male relationship right like front and center and make that the eternal love and and be unapologetic about it. So cool. I love that. Yeah, I love it. And I the, the thing I also like was like, oh, my God, they're going to break our hearts. They're going to one of them is going to be, you know what I mean? I mean, the stakes that were set up for me, I was like, one of them's losing their mortality. The headshot, like the moment, the gun in the mouth and then the headshot, when there was both fighting one enemy, I thought for sure, uh, whichever the one that got shot, I was like, oh yeah. my God, he's gone and I'm going to be devastated. And I was just like being that invested in the characters, yeah. having not spent that much time with them, I was like, I love these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed seeing these characters um and starting to understand the world, and I, I like I said, I'm, I really want more of this. I want yeah. more. Um, so, so I want to, I want you to tell me what the experience was like, because this is a unique experience to you now. What was it like coming from the movie and going to the comic and seeing the style of the comic? Like, how did what was I, that, how did that strike you? 
so coming from the movie, like I already had certain, I knew the things I liked and I knew the things I didn't like from the story. And I was like, okay, so, so is this an adaptation thing or is this going to be like how the story plays out? Am I going to feel very similarly? I ultimately felt very similarly about both at both mediums, um, with, with a few changes here and there. And I, I just did think of this. I, I wanted to say it really quickly. Another thing that kept making me think of, of a TV movie is, uh, there was a lot of so and you know i i i don't want to dig too much into this but basically i felt like there were a lot of very on the nose things that kept happening so if there was a battle that was happening there would be music with lyrics and sort of a poppy uh sort of trendy song would be playing and the lyrics of the song would be like we're gonna fight really hard we're gonna like like a lot of this and i were in place of where i would normally want there to be a score and Mm. there was like multiple scenes i felt like were undercut by songs with lyrics and i don't think that you know i'm not against songs with lyrics and movies because clearly there are some that, that do it very well but i kept thinking about um just how on the nose some of these songs were i kept it's like, like it's so s- subjective because i i'm sort of i'm sort of in the middle like i can see what you're right. saying i can see like I, I i can feel like the missing of like an iconic score right that was like oh you know like, i love a score where you can identify like oh that's from that movie right if there was an old guard score that you heard and you're like that's old guard it's really iconic that's really cool obviously that's great but one of the things my wife said immediately is wow the, the soundtrack for this is so good and yeah. so it, I, it's, it's going to be subjective, like because I think some yeah. people are going to really like the soundtrack of this movie. It is going to be subjective to me. To me, it feels like a music video. To me, it feels like a fun mm. music video. You got lyrics, you got music, things are happening, and it's like a fun action scene. And that's just how it feels to me. So right. like that was something that like rubbed me the wrong way. And whether that's just me subjectively, my yeah. sta- you know state of mind on it. That, yeah. that's just, well, that's what we're it doing. Is, we're giving our subjective opinions, right. right? Like that's that's the exercise. But I mean, yeah, people will disagree. I'm sure. And I'm not even saying I didn't like the songs. There were good songs. There were cool songs. I mean, you songs. called it poppy trash, but I don't know. <laughs> if I if I if I hear if I hear it on the radio, I'm gonna be, crank it up. You know what I mean? I'd be like, oh, this is kind of a fun, cool song. It just like felt like I don't know. It just felt like it was sort of undercutting it in ways to me. Right. But continuing into the movie more, uh, I wanted to talk about Andy's is is Androma Andromache Andromache of, yeah of Scythians the, the Scythian. Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with Scythians? No. Okay, so this is where I'm going with it because okay. I was like, I don't know what a Scythian is. I want to figure out what's going on here. Uh, so I went and did some digging. Scythians are known from about the 7th century BC up until the 3rd century BC. They were a group of ancient tribes of nomadic warriors who originally lived in what is now southern Siberia. Their culture flourished from around 900 BC to around 200 BC, by which time they had extended their influence all over Central Asia from China to the northern Black Sea. Cool. Well, and like I was saying, I, I was saying this earlier, and I didn't want to get into spoilers, but like she has kind of the look of in the comic, at least, of like an ancient man. You know what I mean? The way they draw like her face and her nose and stuff. I thought it was cool because like evokes a little bit of that like almost like Cro-Magnon look, while still not. You know, obviously she's still like a super attractive character, but um, they were able to achieve a look of like if that exact character is lifted and and put in a panel of we're going to show you a scene from you know, 2,000 years before Christ, and I'm going to believe that this is the kind of person that might have been walking around back then. Whereas when you take Charlize Theron and you put her in that scene, sometimes it's like, eh. So that, that's just a like struggle when, you know, you're, you're, at, you're using human beings that were born recently. It's going to be very yeah. difficult to do that. 
Yeah, I you just made me think of something else. I like that. I like that they're rocking their their sort of they're they're literally equipped with their weapons. Oh from, fucking yeah! From How cool is the that tradition? That's yeah. so badass. That's so cool. Oh, I, the and idea that reminds like, me. The other thing I love as much about or I love so much about Joe and Nikki. The idea that they were on both sides of the crusade. Killed each, each other. other, and that's how they yeah. found each other. Like it's such a fucking like cool, fate. faded right. moment. Yeah, and and they're I think they're the one who says like everything happens for a reason. So it would make sense that they would believe that. Um, and and that also just it makes me really like Booker as a character, even though he is sort of the villain here. But because he is, um, he he's he's alone, and his backstory of like being hung and being part of the Napoleon army and all this stuff. Like I thought that was all really cool. Like seeing him frozen in the comic. Um, I thought was mm-hmm. a really memorable, pa- you know, passage. Yeah, I think that's something I appreciated after watching the movie too. With the comic, is like, I, the, like I've said multiple times now, the historic elements we got yeah. even more of them in the comic, and sort of got to like, li- and maybe yeah. it was just that I got to really look at each panel and take my time with it. But seeing him like in battle in the Napoleonic and then Napoleonic wars, and then retreat, like running away as a coward, and then being found, and like that brought a lot to Booker. And it's yeah. like, okay, so he's not opposed to doing the immoral thing, no. which then goes to inform him betraying them yeah eventually you know what i mean he ran so uh, there's a lot of good character building that goes on in, in, I, in a lot I of did, the historical it did remind elements. me of a note i took though i felt like his betrayal didn't go far enough in the comic i was like what was his plan because his plan like is terrible in the comic like he shoots yeah. <laughs> he shoots andy and he's like haha i betrayed you and then she like gets the gun from him and beats him up and then he's like well i've lost and i was like that yeah. was the plan I, you had to know that was gonna happen <laughs> it was always sort of a half-hearted like half-cocked uh yeah like plan anyway because like yeah. realistically like w- he wanted them to finally die was his whole thing and yeah, it's like he was hoping that they would be able to figure out a way to kill them it seemed right like. but like you would think like everyone else seems like they're like 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 andy and Andy, Nikki, and Joe all seem like they're like, yeah, it's not scientific, really. It's sort of just like a, we, we're not supposed to die yet thing. Right. So, like, once you're supposed to die, you'll die. So, it's like sort of leaving it open Right, but I, I mean, I don't think any of them know for certain. And I could definitely see Booker as someone who doesn't believe that. Right, because he's like sort of more technical and yeah. more advanced and more modern. But, yeah, that like they, they're very much, I think, in the boat of like, when we're supposed to die, we're supposed to die. And he's like the one who's like. Oh, that gonna, was one small change this. I wanted to touch on and see what your thoughts were. In the comic, um, all of them, other than Booker and Nile, are terrible with tech and like can't can't figure it out and like are, are behind the times. Whereas in the movie, it felt like that wasn't really a thing. Like they, mm-hmm. for the most part, seemed to be with it. In in the movie, I remember ha- like thinking, "How the hell?" I know, like you know, I know they probably have the time to be good at everything, but like, would they actually have the interest to be good at everything? Right. And then in and then in the story in the comic. It was explained like, no, they don't give a bunch of them like are not interested in learning anything. new. Yeah, Andy's like, get and then, the tape or whatever it is you do with that thing. Like she not right. even like thinking about the fact that it could be broadcasting which, live and stuff, which makes more sense to me from yeah. a character standpoint, like a 6000 year old character. I agree. I, I love that stuff. I've always liked that with like ancient immortal vampires and stuff. If they like struggle to use yeah. a phone and stuff I, like I love that because mm-hmm. it's like in that sense, they're like a grandparent who. It's like yeah. this all this new technology confuses me. <laughs> yeah, the so the other the uh mystery of Andy's age like sort of is is answered in the comic is not answered in the movie. Right. Um in the comic she says like I'm 6000 something something years old, so yeah. 4000 BC we could assume. Uh yeah, I, I like the mystery before in the in the in the movie. Like I kind of was hoping they wouldn't say it in the comic cuz I like yeah. that idea of like who re- like 
Well, I mean, 6,000 years old is, like, as old as you can imagine. <laughs> like, it's like, right. you could, like, it, that's as old as people were people at a certain point. You know what I mean? Like, before yeah. that, well, they were Well, it's, like, basically, I, I, I believe that's, like, where recorded history began was, like, exactly, 4,000 yeah. BC. So, it's, like, I don't know how much further back, realistically, you could go and exactly. b- make it believable yeah. for So, 6,000 was a big enough number to me where I felt, like, satisfied when I heard that number. I was, yeah. like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, that's really, really old. Like, she was 4,000 years old before Christ was born you know what i mean like that's <laughs> that's wild um super cool and I, I love that character they just so i i i would read so much about just her throughout the ages and like the things she's i know into. i can't i that's what i want i'm ready yeah. for it i want more i want to see andy and in I, the history. I think that's what's that's what's taken me about the story that I, that makes me love it is the is the characters and the conceit and the idea um, yeah. And then I, I think having read the comic first gave me a really strong foundation heading into the movie that I could kind of fall back on. So one last thing I wanted to talk about is one of the big differences that I see is that they, you have to make a decision, in my opinion, when you're adapting a comic book to a film. Um, and this is something we've seen done in many different ways, right? There's like uh, there's like the Marvel way of doing it. There's you know many different DC ways of doing it. And then you have something like a Sin City or like a Watchmen or many others where it's like hyper stylized, right? Like, uh, so so I feel like there ha- there's a decision that has to be made when you're doing it. Uh, oh, another one, another one I just thought of is um, Scott Pilgrim, isn't mm-hmm. that isn't that one where like yep. it, it felt like a comic book, like the way it was made. So I feel like you have to you make a decision of like how comic booky are we going to be with this? And it felt like they made a decision to not go super strong in the comic book feel like there was like there was when they did some of the title cards for like different locations it looked like it came out of a comic book so there's a couple of like homages but it didn't it, it didn't feel like they were doing a ton of like we're gonna give it the feel of a comic book um and then once again the color was so striking in the comics it didn't feel like there was a lot of attention to that in the movie like it didn't feel like they were trying to you know, cast certain scenes and in, in some sort of dramatic lighting um colorized lighting um it was like they made a decision to make it more realistic looking. Um, how did you feel about that change? That's, I mean, that's the thing about adapting comics. Like people have been talking about this for, for since Tim Burton's Batman, since, you know, Christopher Reeves as Superman, like how, how campy, how, and not even campy, but like how comic booky are you willing to go? And I think we've seen that audiences are interested and more open to grounded superheroes. So we get, Christopher Nolan's Batman movies that are very grounded. And then we get, you know, then we come into the age of where we're where we're starting to to do like Iron Man. That's a pretty grounded Marvel movie. Yeah. But as time goes on, audiences are being trusted to to be open to more fully comic booky movies because as soon as you start to get into like Ant-Man and you start to get into Guardians of the Galaxy and you started to get into Thor Ragnarok, those are not the same kind of comic book movies as like a grounded Iron Man. Those are colorful, poppy movies, crazy creatures, like going full comic book with it. And so like me being someone who grew up in comics, I want to see them go for it. You know what I mean? But I'm not necessarily the... And, and you you have to see that there's a, there's like a huge chance of failing when you do that. Totally. Because it can look, it can end up looking bad. And it has... Well, happened. it could be Batman. <laughs> it could be Batman with right. George Clooney. You know what I mean? It could be like that. It could yeah. be, they went for it. Mr. Freeze has a crazy suit in that movie and he shoots ice and he's they did full they did they went full on for that and like you can swing and miss and like it cannot work and i think i really understanding the material they can still go further as time goes on as they go further into their movies here with the old guard if they wanted to continue for a while 
they could next one could be much more stylized you yeah. know in the historic you could you could differentiate sort of lighting styles and 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 looks within this within the cinematic language yeah. within the color schemes within all that stuff in the different time periods i'm gonna invoke then, a name that you're probably not gonna expect me to invoke here <laughs> okay but go for um it. i was reminded of our coverage of Zack snyder's watchmen um and in this well i'm just reminded of it in this in this conversation uh-huh. we're having and one of the things that that movie did well, although I, we both made the argument that it, was, it had many faults, and we, we talk about a lot of things that kept it from being amazing to us um, in that episode. Well, just to say really quickly, mostly mostly just like not fully fundamentally understanding the characters. Yeah. But yeah, continue. Yes. Uh, but one of the things that was cool about that movie, I thought, was that how it actually captured a lot of the comp- like iconic scenes and look of characters in a way that didn't feel... Um, too cheesy. Like it worked for me. I thought that movie looked good for the most part. It, you know, it, it, for the most part. I, I'm not saying there weren't things I would quibble with, and and we outlined it in the episode on it. But my point is, there's a way to to like evoke the comic and like have some of the scenes play out in, in a way that evokes a panel that you've seen. Um, without going full comic book and like and like giving it a sheen of color that that feels unreal. Right. I mean, you still have like Night Owl in like an owl flying machine in that movie. So it's like they still went for comic booky. He just wanted dark and gritty. What about the opening scene where the, where, um, the comedian gets smashed out the window and we see him fall right. and like it looks just like the panel out of the comic, right? Like, yeah, it's shot. For, he he did shot for shot yeah. of the beginning. Yeah. Um, but even really so, cool. like he. I, I think he, yeah. you can overdo it, and I think he probably did, right. but some of it's cool. <laughs> I don't think, I think you ask anybody who's a big Watchmen fan, that opening scene they like, because yeah. it, he did go shot for shot, and it wasn't, it, it he did the opening sequence of Watchmen, you know what I mean? And then he started to, to, to make changes and, yeah. and not understand things as well. well anyway, my point being that I, I, I guess I, I feel like in the future, they could maybe lean it a little bit more into the, some of the style from the comic because I think the style of the comic is Agreed. so cool and I really, really yeah. like it and I just want to see some more homages to it. I like that her axe looks identical to how it does in the comic. Like There are certain things yeah. they definitely did. And Oh, by the way, the cast I thought was perfect. I thought, I loved yeah. that they didn't, they didn't mess with any of the characters really. Like They look a lot like they do in the comic. Um, they act a lot like they do in the comic and I thought they were perfectly cast in my opinion across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I had a, a lot of fun, uh, like, sort of remembering how it was in the movie when reading the comic. It's really interesting to to go about it in the way that I did. Um, and I don't know that I prefer it. I don't know. I, I almost would say if people were interested and they haven't seen either and they, you know, want, care after being spoiled because we spoiled everything, uh, I would say definitely I would read first in yeah, hindsight. I think that was the way to go. I mean, it's the way I went, so I, I don't know. I can't experience it the way you did. But I felt like it actually provided like this really great foundation for me. The one point of data I have against it, though, is that my wife watched the movie and loved it and had not yeah. read the comic. So it is, and, well, and many people, I think, have had that experience. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's to say, again, I, I don't think this is a bad movie. I just don't think it was amazing. And I think there were things about it that I just had to, that I, that when, when watching, I was like, this could, this could have improved it. You know, and, and I think part of it, part of it probably falls to budget. And it's tough for me to like slam a movie for like, they couldn't afford I mean, they had a $70 million budget. Really? $70 million budget, yeah. I, I, you know, honestly, I don't know. Is that a lot? Like, I, I don't really know I mean, anymore. it's like, it's not a little. I'll say that. Okay. Well, they went to a lot of locations. I felt like they were actually in a lot of these different locations, you know, shooting, you know. So, 
it's tough to say like wh- what was the money spent on hard to say you know in a lot yeah. of these like th- scenes they were doing throughout time i'm sure that costs a lot of money to set up a battlefield and have horses and have you know what i mean like mm-hmm. well, there's probably a lot of costuming so i'm sure they yeah. had to pick and choose I- how they were going to spend their money Right. And I think I think in a sequel, if this movie gets a sequel and because it was as as big of a smash hit as it was, I think we'll see the you know, the product of of a lot of the things that we want. You know, I yeah. think this movie Production achieved will the ramp up yeah, as far as this like, movie achieved a lot of what it needed to for us to see the best version of the story, I think going forward. Yeah. And, you know, that, I think, segues into where we need to move next, which is uh, we need to decide whether or not we liked the comic book or the film more. That's the thing we're doing this year. Um, as you well know. So we're going to talk about that now. Um, do stick around for the very end of the episode where we're going to uh, announce our next project. But um, yeah, I want, um, I think, what, you want to go first? Are you cool with that? Sure. I mean, I mean, mine's obvious, I think, at this point. Um, I I do want to say here at the end, though, there, there, don't get me wrong, like, I enjoyed this movie. I, after, after I, after the movie ended, credits were rolling, I thought, that was enjoyable. I like that movie. I think specifically coming into this conversation, I just wanted to have things that I felt like could have improved it and say why I didn't give it a 10 out of 10 and love it completely in every way. Right. Um, so, and I think going to the comic book after reading the, after going to the comic book after watching the movie um, only made my enjoyment, you know, in hindsight, even more of the movie. But I did notice the things that I wanted more of were in the comic and the things that, that I was noticing sort of more style that kind of stuff was was shown i think in my opinion more in the comic book so you're going with the comic yeah comic book okay gotcha uh okay so for me um i think i think i'm overall more positive on this project than you um if that's fair to say i love this i i love the comic i love the movie um i think both had flaws um like we've outlined i I think there is some problems in the third act of this comic um i I thought some of it maybe was a little too expected um and i wanted i wanted i wanted a little more um the movie i thought was i i really loved a lot of the extra things they gave us the extra storylines um uh, there was a lot of cool character moments i think uh nile we didn't talk a lot about but there was a lot more nile here and her character was a little subtly different in the movie. It felt like to me, um, they made her, uh, she also like the way she leaves and has to come back. Like that doesn't happen in the comic. Um, the certain things like that, she's maybe more on the fence about this whole thing. Whereas I think Niall in the comic book sort of buys into it a little faster. Um, in general, I liked a lot of that. I thought it was cool. And, and, um, there was a, there was a real effort to provide an emotional context to, the good that is done by these immortals over time, that big wall that um, that Copley has assembled where he shows all the good that Andy has done over time and that they have all done over time and, and the power and like how they've averted catastrophe and like atomic war and like all this crazy stuff that they he's attributing to them. That's all not in the comic. It's maybe subtext subtextual, but it's not shown in that way. So I want to give the, the movie its due. I think it's a really, really good movie. Um, it's, I mean, I'll agree. It is, it is maybe not quite big budget theater movie yet. It, um, for a Netflix movie, it's about as good as you're going to get. I think, I mean, I really had a great time with it. Um, so I definitely recommend it, but all that being said, I'm going to give it to the comic, um, for reasons I think I've outlined, but I I just want to hit on again. I think it's more stylish. Um, I missed the, the sort of like sexiness of the comic. I, I, I felt like that was something that 
the movie could have done a little more of um, and still been tasteful. Like, I, I would want it to be the same sort of tasteful touch that the, the comic had. I think that's something you can do. You look like, uh, look at, speaking of Watchmen, HBO's Watchmen. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't shy away from some of this kind of stuff. So, like, I think you can go there and still be tasteful, and I think it does there. Um, and, and I wanted maybe a little more of that for this adaptation, um, but I think it nails a lot of the stuff. Um, but overall, I think if you want that, like, I think if you're looking for the best version of this story, in my opinion, it's the comic. But it's going to come down to, I think, honestly, for you, the listener, do you like comics or do you like movies more? Um, because if you're the kind of person who like, eh, I don't know about comics, but I love movies, then I don't think I'm going to, you know what I mean? I don't think you're going to go read the comic and go, yeah, oh, this is way better. Like, eh, you're probably going to like the movie better because that's that's your medium of choice. Now, if you're someone who does enjoy comics um, or is open to them like I am, I think read the comic and then go see the movie. That's that's my yeah. advice. It's always funny to me when like I never I don't want to be negative on projects. You know, that's like my first mm-hmm. instinct is not to be is not to be negative. And then it just comes down so much. I think about subjectivity a lot. I just have to say the things that that came up to me in my viewing. Yeah, I think it's good when we have um, I think when we come at something and, and there's and there's a disagreement there. Um, I think it provides interesting conversation, right? And this is the kind of thing as a, as a listener, if you're a fan of this movie or if you're not a fan of this movie, um, hopefully you, you find some of your viewpoints represented here. And then also like, this is the kind of thing you might encounter when you're talking about this movie with other people. So hopefully mm-hmm. this is, this was enjoyable right. for you and maybe can give you some stuff to think about when next time you're the old guard comes up in conversation. <laughs> right. I'm looking forward to the sequel. That's that's what I'll say. And then and then me too. Again, and, and I I hope they're going to make it because as soon as they are, I'm going to be excited and go out and pick volume two. I may just pick it up anyway. I'm probably gonna pick it up anyway. Yeah, because I'm excited. Well, for yeah, it. that's an that's something I wanted to say is like I do want to continue reading and everything. So you know, the story's captivated me enough. If they make a sequel, I think we're gonna cover it. In my opinion, I'm gonna push for it because it's easy to cover. It's it's like you know what I mean. It's a movie and a comic. We can do a combo in an episode, and it'd be fun to touch back in with these with these characters. Yeah, the story's dug its claws into me deep enough to where I'm like, I want to know what happens next. I yeah. want to know where these characters carry well, on. Well, and I'm going to be really curious because I, I assume Andy um, is not mortal in volume two or maybe becomes at some point in volume two. Right. But in, in the movie, she's going to start out that way. And I don't think they're going to change. I don't think they're going to reverse and make her immortal again for a while and then go. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't really understand how it fully works because I feel like there are moments where she's like, he's like, I won't see you again. And she's like, you never know. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're being optimistic, but is that also code for like, you're going to become immortal again at some <laughs> point or like, you know what I mean? Uh, like, Real quick, do we have, we have a moment for a prediction? Because I, I think that, I mean, we saw at the end, there's like a little post credits, not really post credit, but after a little bit in the credits, you see Quinn has showed up, right? Um, and sees Booker and, and, and the, and the, uh, and the, He's in like an apartment or something. He looks sad. <laughs> He's like drunk or something. Well, yeah, because they're separated for a hundred um, years now. And and I think it's not a big stretch to say that I think these two are going to team up and be the sort of the uh, opposing force for the other four. Right? It's going to be it's going to be the two immortals versus the four. And um, because they're and and they're going to represent maybe just like wanting to die or something. Like it's I I love that these stories of immortality at their heart are about what it is to be mortal, right? Like that's what it boils down to. It's like Mm -hmm. what it is to be mortal. Is it okay to be mortal? Can we accept mortality? Um, What are, what are sort of the downsides of immortality, which sort of shines a light on mortality in a way. So I Mm -hmm. I think I'm endlessly fascinated by the, by this kind of character. Oh, another thing I want to shout out is another like similarity Highlander a little bit. 
You remember ever watching a Highlander growing up? <laughs> like, yeah, I can see that. Like he's like, I mean, they're not they're not cutting each other's heads off and gaining more power or anything. But like, I remember one of the coolest characters from like a, a, a Highlander. I think his name was like Duncan or something. Or maybe not Duncan, but there was a character who was like over like two thousand years old. And I thought he was like one of the coolest mm-hmm. characters because he mm-hmm. was like so unknowable. Anyway, we've uh, we've rambled into the woods. Uh, I think it's time to end this. Um, do stick around for the very end, though, where we're going to announce our next project. But if you like this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. Great way to get the word out for fellow listeners. If you want to support the podcast, please go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film and think about potentially joining one of our tiers. Um, we have everything from $1 up. Uh, the $2 tier gets you our bonus episodes monthly, and we sort of try to cover something adaptation adjacent or adaptation news. It's kind of, it just kind of depends, but we've had a lot of fun with those, and we have over 25 of them now. Yeah, definitely a, a good backlog there, which for two bucks, hopefully, is pretty good value. Um, also, make sure to follow us on social media. We're at Ink to Film on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And join the Council of Inklings on Facebook. It is our Facebook group where we have uh, discussions and we share news and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Thank you to Ross Bugdoon for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So we're going to announce our next project, which is actually a patron commission. And that's going to be Screamers, 80s flicks. We're going back to the 80s. I believe 80s, maybe early 90s. I'm not actually sure. Um, somewhere in there yeah somewhere in there and it is based off of a philip k dick short story um which i'm drawing a blank on the name of it now but i do know it i just have to i just have to remember it but anyway we're going to be covering that it's going to be a philip k dick which is going to be like our third or fourth project we've done from him um Mm -hmm. and then another adaptation of his which like i've i've seen it but it was so long ago i honestly remember next to nothing about this movie i don't you ever seen it yeah i don't think i've ever seen this one cool so at the very least it's going to be a new movie for you and it'll be mostly new for me because my memory is bad and i've forgotten it (laughs) at this point so um, i don't know how good it is honestly i have no idea maybe it'll be something we just tear into uh but i suspect there'll be something interesting and and good there to to highlight i don't think uh i don't think our patron would have commissioned it otherwise but who knows anyway um that's what we're going to have next week um until next time thanks for listening